Welcome in to Words with Wallace. I am your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Thursday, April 27th. Uh, as much as I'd love to be gearing up for, for a casual night of just watching the NFL draft, maybe taking a night off, cracking an apple beer, I can't do that. No, I'm sitting here. Uh, it's about 6.30 p.m. Central Time where I'm based in the Dallas area, and I'm trying to crank out this pod because my stupid team plays a stupid game against the stupid Atlanta Hawks that they shouldn't have to play because they didn't take care of business in Game 5. So I'm a little upset about it. So if I come across as testy, I wanted to apologize because but here we are man here we are I shouldn't be I shouldn't be that tested you know why because we are coming off uh we're in in the midst I should say of one of the best first rounds and one of the most entertaining NBA playoff first rounds in the history of the league and I I really do mean it when I say that because it's been a lot of fun uh of course the headline is the number one seed and the best team in basketball during the regular season the Milwaukee Bucks uh falling short uh, and falling to the Miami Heat, the eight seed in the Eastern Conference, which was incredible. Uh, we also saw the New York Knicks take out the Cleveland Cavaliers. They were the underdogs of 5-4 matchup, uh, and they also took care of business in five games. So uh, it's been crazy, man. I did want to get this pot out earlier in the week. Uh, my apologies for that. Had the old uh, men's league semifinals and championship back to back on Tuesday. So that was a that was a long night. I uh, actually had to rewatch the the Celtics because I missed them live. So that was really just disappointing to have to do that yesterday uh the team fell short in the championship but we will get them uh next time in the summer league more men's leagues updates to come uh probably not i don't think you guys want to hear about that but uh anyways man it's just been a crazy week and i wanted to record yesterday too uh but we had the rare four game slate on a, on a weekday and so that was uh very interesting a lot of fun to watch it certainly did not disappoint as i've already alluded to uh, but it's been crazy, man. A lot of uh, you know, a lot of late nights with these West Coast games. A lot of multiple screen action. A lot of NBA TV. I just you know before we got too far into it, I wanted to point out how badly. Like I don't really know how like you know the TV rights work and and what the if there's a bidding process or whatever for the games and you know what big wigs make the decision to you know decide between which games they want on national TV and and you know what games need to be relegated to NBA TV. But they went off two yesterday, I would say, because they had two potential elimination games in the Eastern Conference games, and you know the Bucks series, uh, the Bucks Heat series, and the Knicks Cavs series, and they opted for the rare double West Coast slate on TNT, and we saw Lakers Grizzlies, which was a super boring game in my opinion, followed by Warriors Kings, um, and those games, you know, the, the Warriors Kings game was fine, but the fact that the Bucks, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference got eliminated in a game that was broadcast on NBA TV. This is something that's only happened four other times in the history of the league, and casual viewers weren't even able to watch that game uh, unless they had some premium package that included NBA TV or League Pass or whatever. Uh, the fact that that was the case, I can't imagine that's great on the old ratings, but um, I thought that was funny, man. Good for good for uh, Brendan Haywood and whoever else called the game last night. I apologize, but um, good for them to have that opportunity because it was honestly one of the best basketball games I've seen all year. So, Bucks versus Heat. So, Miami ends up winning this series in five games, which is absolutely ridiculous to think about. Um, but I just wanted to talk about how special this is, right? I just kind of mentioned before that this has only happened four other times in NBA history where the one seed has fallen uh, to the eight seed in the playoffs. And, and the reason for that, it's pretty simple, right? In, in a seven-game series, you know, I would say the playoff structure for the NBA 
is more conducive to the best team winning more than any other sport, right? Like football, it's one game. Anything can happen. You know, March Madness, uh, a series of, of you know, it's, it's every single round is one game. Um, so obviously anything can happen in March Madness. I don't really feel like getting into other sports because I don't really give a shit about anything besides football and basketball. But uh, it is just truly insane that this has only happened four other times in NBA history. And the fact that I... You know, this wasn't a fraudulent one seed, right? Like, if this had happened, ironically enough, to, like, Miami last year, right? Like, they were the one seed in the Eastern Conference last year. But they were a team that nobody really believed in all that much uh, for whatever reason. Maybe it was a lack of star power and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, the Bucks are a powerhouse. The Bucks have the best player in the world. The Bucks have the person that I thought should win MVP. Um, the Bucks had the best guard defender in the entire NBA in Drew Holiday. They had a candidate for defensive player of the year in Brooke Lopez. They have, you know, another former all-star coming. I granted he's coming back from injury, but I don't really think that you, you can use that as an excuse for Chris Middleton because, you know, he has been healthy, you know, most of this season. Um, so this is really disappointing, man. This is really, really special stuff from the Miami heat. Um, even as somebody that I would say, I believed in the heat. I did not want to see the heat as a Celtics fan. I always took them seriously because of their playoff pedigree, uh, the pedigree of Jimmy Butler, uh, the experience and, and, you know, the incredible decision-making of, of coach Eric Spolstra, you know, I always believed in Miami, but I never thought that this shit was possible. Like this is absolutely insane. And albeit it took a Giannis injury for them to get in the position that they were in the last two games. But it, I don't, that's not an excuse, man. Like Miami was missing Tyler Harrow. We talked about it on the pod and yeah, Tyler Harrow is no Giannis, but you know, for a team that is, you know, pretty devoid of, of talent and, and certainly offensive options in the Miami heat for them to be losing their second best offensive player and their third best player overall. And they still overcame that and took care of business against the higher seeded bucks in five games and of course, you know, the main reason that all this was able to take place is because of really one guy and, and that guy's Jimmy Butler, right? Uh, I mean, granted, the team deserves credit. The coaching staff deserves credit. But the ability that Jimmy Butler has to bring his game to another level in the playoffs is something that I truly have never seen as a basketball fan. Like, you know, I really want to, you know, if, if you guys missed it, I, I should mention he had 56 and 9 in game four, which was a game that, again, everybody's picking the Bucks. Granted, it was a game in Miami, but this was, you know, Giannis's first game back from that back injury. Um, and this is like, okay, the Bucks are down in the series. They got to get right. Uh, you know, the Bucks were up for most of the game, and Jimmy, you know, was relentless from the start. He had 22 points in the first quarter. You know, he cooled off a bit in the second quarter because he was so gassed. But he, again, finished the game with 56-9, and nine, and they ended up winning that game in, in pretty dramatic fashion. Uh, and Jimmy was obviously the main reason why. Uh, and then, of course, you know, th you know, there's all these storylines. Or, or have the Bucks lost it? Are they going to somehow blow things to the Heat? You know, they're down three one in the series. But I, I don't really think anyone still. I wouldn't say anyone, but nobody was expecting them to lose last night. That's what I can say with confidence, right? Like nobody expected the Bucks to not respond to that insane game four. And, and expect them to fall short on their home court, especially with another, you know, couple days of rest for Giannis in between games, another game for him to get his bearings about him. There is no reason whatsoever the Milwaukee Bucks should lose that game. But Jimmy delivered again. I didn't even realize that. Like, I felt like, you know, especially compared to his performance in game four, that game five, he was actually missing a lot of the shots that he was drilling just the previous game. But he still finished the game with 42 points. Uh, granted, the game did go to overtime, so he had you know an extra couple minutes to pad those stats there. But he was incredible yet again. He you know truly did look like the best player on the court, 
And I think the most amazing thing about it is that, again, he's being, you know, the majority of his baskets have been scored against Drew Holiday, who is, without a doubt, in my opinion, in the opinion of many others, the best guard defender in the entire NBA. Now, uh, we're going to talk about Coach Bud of the Milwaukee Bucks in a little bit um, and his decision making. And you could maybe make the argument that Drew is a little bit better at guarding smaller players. So Jimmy's a tougher matchup, especially with how physical he is, since he does have a slight size advantage. But again, it doesn't like Jimmy was able to accomplish this by being guarded by one of the best defenders in the league. And even if you don't want to take my word for it on the, on how good of a defender drew holiday is, um, I thought it was pretty interesting that the athletic actually put out an anonymous uh, NBA players poll a couple of weeks ago uh, where they asked again, only NBA players, a specific set of questions. And one of the questions that they asked was who is the best defender in the NBA? And one of the most overwhelming majority answers on the poll um, it was announced that Drew Holiday was the, the best defender in the NBA, according to the NBA players. I think over 50% of the players selected him as the best defender in the NBA, which is pretty striking. Um, so it's not like Jimmy was taking advantage of, of a lackluster defense or a poor matchup. It's, it's quite the opposite. So uh, I just wanted to kind of zoom out and think about, like, are there any statistics that represent just how much better Jimmy Butler is in the playoffs rather than the regular season because he's not a bad player by any means in the regular season um, he's I think a lot of people had him on the all NBA teams I actually kind of left him off mine not that I have a vote um, I thought the forward position was pretty tricky I opted for guys like Laurie Markkinen and Julius Randle that sound pretty hilarious it is a regular season award so I don't necessarily take back the vote because uh, I know Jimmy picks his spots kind of like LeBron does in terms of when he wants to exert energy. Um, but it is striking that, you know, playoff Jimmy is a real thing. It, it, it is it is something that I've literally never seen in my experience as an NBA fan. So I just wanted to see if there were any numbers that supported it. You know, I took a look at his regular season points per game versus his playoff points per game to see if there was a spike. You know, on his entire career, there wasn't necessarily a huge spike for, for his playoff numbers. But if you look you know, strictly at his Miami years um, and the time in which he's really solidified his playoff legacy. There is, you know, quite a quite a big difference between his playoff stats and his regular season stats. He goes from averaging, you know, 21, 22 points a game in the regular season to 25 points per game in the playoffs. Um, his shooting percentages are up across the board, namely his uh, three-point shooting percentage, which I think jumps like 12 or 13% higher in the playoffs, which definitely matches the eye test. But, um, I don't think, you know, in general, the stats really didn't match what we're watching with our eyes because, you know, this goes back a couple years now. Like, it goes back to the bubble where he dragged that Heat team uh, all the way to the finals, which was really impressive. And, you know, that was a moment where I think, you know, we didn't quite have the same level of respect for Jimmy as we do now just because we saw so many outlier playoff performances during the bubble season. Uh, so many guys were putting up exorbitant numbers that they wouldn't normally score just because of that atmosphere change of not being in front of a crowd. Uh, but Jimmy kind of put that, you know, if he was a bubble boy, as you want to call it, one of those bubble stat inflators, uh, he put that narrative to rest the past couple of years with how incredible he was against the Celtics. And the last thing I wanted to say on Jimmy Butler, just to kind of, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, too reactionary to this, right? I, I certainly sound like I'm being too reactionary with how high I'm speaking of Jimmy Butler, but I wanted to take a realistic look and try to remove the recency bias as much as I could at, Okay, Giannis is home. Giannis is not playing anymore in these playoffs. Who are the five best players left in the NBA playoffs? And granted, a couple round one series aren't even over yet. But I want to take into account 
just everything, right? The regular season performance, what we've seen so far in the playoffs, what I know about these players previously. And I genuinely believe, I don't think you can leave Jimmy Butler off that top five. Like, you know, I would put Jokic and Embiid on there. I'd put Steph on there. And Jimmy is like locked in to that top four, right in the conversation with, again, Jokic, Embiid, Steph. He's right there. I think the fifth spot is where you would, you know, kind of leave that up for debate. Um, I think the early favorite would probably have to be Devin Booker with as ridiculous as it sounds, just given um, his scoring performance against the Clippers in the first round, which we'll talk more about later. Uh, but it's incredible, man. I really do think Jimmy Butler is is a real playoff. Jimmy is a real thing. The fact that he would even be in the conversation as a top five player for the remainder of the playoffs when, you know, I don't think he's at, uh, close to that during the regular season. Like, I don't think he made the all-star team this year. I, I didn't put him on my all-NBA team. Um, you know, it's just, it's a really incredible stuff. But let's, let's dive back into the focus on game five, right? Because the, the game last night was truly incredible. And I think, again, what can't be overstated is just how shorthanded Miami was at the conclusion of this game. Like, you know, Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry were absolutely incredible for the Heat down the stretch, even if the box score doesn't necessarily reflect it. Um, you know, the Heat's offense, again, like I said before, it's still ugly. Like when Jimmy's not creating his own shot, you know, in the absence of Tyler Harrell, this was, I think, a team that was dead last in offensive ranking and efficiency during the regular season. Um, so it's really not a surprise how much they would struggle without Harrell against the Bucks, especially. Uh, but they really needed Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love. And when they ended up fouling out in the fourth quarter of that game, you know, I was sitting in front of my TV, literally going like, Oh no, like, cause I, you know, I'm going all in. I should, I should be honest. I'm, I'm rooting for Miami all the way as a Celtics fan. First and foremost, I want to see the Bucks far removed from the playoffs. Like, please do our laundry for us, Miami. Take care of the Bucks so we don't have to. There's no shame in that. So I'm absolutely, you know, I'm rocking my heat culture tee and I'm sitting there like, oh shit, man. Like, I cannot believe how upset I am that, that Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry just fouled out of the game. Um, you know, Bam did end up having his best game of the entire series. Uh, but even then offensively, it, it wasn't his best effort. You know, he finished with 20, 10 and 10, which was a fantastic game uh, again, but it was mostly predicated off of the defense that he played against Giannis. He was really impressive, but even Bam ended up fouling out. And so, you know, with two minutes left in overtime, the closing group for Miami was Jimmy Butler, Cody Zeller, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, and Caleb Martin. And that, and granted, at that point in the game when, when Bam had fouled out, uh, I think Miami was up four or five at that point, so they just really had to hold on for dear life. But uh, it's really no excuse that the Bucks weren't able to prevail out of that. Uh, but I thought that that was worth noting, that that was the group that Jimmy was going out with. So let's let's turn this conversation around and look at it from the, from the Milwaukee side of things, rather. Um, because just as much as this is about the heroics of Jimmy Butler, it is, you know, a, a massive disappointment for, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And so these are just some things that I wanted to know specifically about how the game went down last night in game five. Um, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks scored three field goals in the fourth quarter. They made three baskets in the fourth quarter. They made two baskets in overtime. So that's a combined five field goals in what was that? 17 minutes of, of action of, of in-game time. Um, and throughout that time, you know, the offense was clearly gross. Obviously, they had some free throws along the way uh, that buoyed their point total, mainly from Giannis. Uh, but I never really noticed a change in offensive philosophy. I felt like there was a lack of plays being ran, however you want to determine that. Um, you know, 
just it was kind of the same thing over and over. It seemed like they they really wanted to get into like a a Giannis Brook Lopez pick and roll, which I, I'll give them credit. Like Miami kind of just you know struggled defending that earlier in the game. Uh, but by the time they had reached the fourth quarter in overtime, Bam was doing a really great job against that, and nobody could hit a shot to save their life. Um, and I just really you know didn't see any any real change in philosophy despite these really significant offensive woes. Like for, again, an NBA team with the best player in the world to have five field goals in the last 17 minutes of action at home in an elimination game is pathetic. And then, you know, you'll, you'll see where I'm going with this, but let's just talk about some of the substitution decisions, right? You know, we really didn't see any Jay Crowder this entire series. We really didn't see much from Joe Ingles this series. We did see a lot of, uh, Grayson Allen, we saw a decent amount of Wesley Matthews last night specifically. We saw uh, some Pat Connington. Um, you know, those guys didn't shoot bad percentages, but they certainly didn't impress. And I just feel like one of the big talking points, you know, in favor of the Bucks was what they did to secure that fifth spot in the lineup, right? Like, you know, their, their big four is, is basically solidified, right, in having, you know, Giannis out there, Drew out there, Chris Middleton out there, Brooke Lopez out there. Um, and this is a theme with a lot of the other great teams that we'll talk about that, you know, that fifth guy is, is, is kind of hard to figure out. But we kind of thought the Milwaukee was making strides in the right direction to solidify that spot. Uh, that ultimately didn't end up being the case because, you know, they didn't get much production from that spot. And, you know, we really saw nothing, especially of Joe Ingles, somebody that I think would be, a, you know, was going to be a really big factor for them in the playoffs. You know, maybe it was a matchup thing that, that Coach Bud didn't like what he was seeing with, with Ingles against Miami. Uh, but I thought that that was interesting because they didn't get a whole lot of production at that fifth spot. You know, just to fast forward again to two seconds left in the game, Miami Heat are down. They have the ball. And they opt to run a play that they actually ran, you know, a similar play, a similar concept anyway, to what they ran about two months ago against uh, in a regular season game against the Houston Rockets, where they got Jimmy Butler a lob. Uh, and of course, Jimmy has the opportunity to go up, catch a lob pass, kind of take a bump while he's in the air, finish it with one hand to send the game to overtime, you know, on that play. You know, Bud opted to go relatively small in that situation. He had Giannis out there. He had Chris Middleton out there. And then I want to say he had Drew... Uh, Wesley Matthews, and then he had Pat Connington as the fifth player. So I felt like it was pretty notable that with two seconds left in the game, they opted to have their you know center, their big man all gear, their runner-up for defensive player of the year, out of the game. They they did not have Brook Lopez on the court in that situation. It's especially notable because you know Miami ran a lot of play against Houston with basically a little bit less time left, so their options were more limited. But they opted to run a lob play again. And to not even have Brooke Lopez on the court to be a threat there um, is significant, especially when you consider he was subbed out for Pat Connington, who was in the rim protector spot, did jump and try his best to contest the pass, and fell short. Uh, another thing that was worth noting. And then finally, the cream of the crop, uh, what everybody loves to mention when they analyze you know, NBA coaching on the surface level, the timeouts, or the lack thereof. Again, during that anemic fourth quarter offense stretch uh, we really didn't see any timeout usage of coach bud to, to switch things up either you know substitutionally just to switch things up play calling wise so you know that's just worth noting after the miami heat completed the lob to jimmy butler to tie up the game at the end of regulation there was 0.5 seconds left on the clock 0.5 seconds game is tied again a timeout in the nba advances the ball coach bud I guess, and, and his staff forgot that they had it because that's really the only excuse in a situation like that. They opt to not use their timeout with 0.5 seconds left, and they don't even get up a real shot. They get the ball to Giannis, and, and he doesn't even get a shot up with, with 0.5 left, and the game goes to overtime. 
And then, of course, the last possession of overtime, right? You know, Miami had a, a relatively significant lead. I think it was six points at one point. But, you know, they had that all-star lineup that I mentioned a little bit earlier with Jimmy and a bunch of bums, essentially. Uh, despite the fact that, that Gabe Vincent did hit a pull-up Jimbo right in somebody's mitt on one of those possessions in overtime that I thought was extremely notable. So credit to Gabe Vincent. I shouldn't say they're bums. But uh, certainly not Miami's best five out there on the court. Milwaukee was able to rally back a little bit. And they got a rebound. Giannis got a rebound with 10 seconds left in overtime when they're down two. Right from the gate, this possession was disgusting for the Bucks. right? Like, Giannis is all over the place. He's totally in his own head because he's not making shots to the line. He didn't want to get fouled earlier in overtime and regulation. He, you know, he gives the ball up to Chris Middleton and actually falls down while doing it because he was off balance trying to push the ball up the court. When your best player is on the ground, not even an option in the play, and there's still, you know, five, six seconds left, that should be a pretty obvious call that, you know, you're not progressing in the right direction. This isn't a transition opportunity. This is just a four-on-five with your best player being the one on the ground. When the ball then hits Grayson Allen's hands, who, again, I don't even know why this guy's on the court at this point, when Grayson Allen touches the ball with 2.3 seconds left in the game, down two, even that is an opportunity to call a timeout. And of course, if you didn't see it, you know, predictably enough, when Grayson Allen caught the ball, he drove hard to the basket. He probably had an opportunity for like a floater or a pull-up Jimmy at the elbow. Um, and he decided to not, you know, take that shot. He went, he opted for a Euro step and didn't even get a shot off. So hindsight's 2020, right? You know, timeouts are, again, the easiest thing to judge. And there's so much else that goes into evaluating NBA coaching. But when you have an upset of this magnitude, there needs to be somebody to blame. There needs to be a blame pie. And the way that I'm looking at it, it's got to be over, you know, 50, 60% on Coach Bud. Because I don't think, you know, despite having a championship a couple years back, and that usually guarantees job security for at least the next couple seasons, right? His resume is not, you know, great on this. And his reputation is not great. He's known around the league as a coach that is stubborn. He's known around the league as a coach that is is slow to adjust or virtually believes in no adjustments. Whatever he believes is the best strategy to defeat a team before a playoff series starts, he sees that through. He sticks with that no matter what. And whether you want to get more in the weeds about it and analyze his you know, decision to never put Giannis on Jimmy or to never really double Jimmy Butler and force somebody else to beat them, um, I just think that all signs are pointing towards sending Coach Bud into the sun because I really do think that this is his fault uh, above all else. Like, sure, you were missing Giannis a couple of those games. So granted, Drew Holiday was awful offensively. You know, I, I'm sure he would even admit that. Um, but it's, again, it's really no excuse when you're losing to a team that has that much less talent. Uh, and I just think that, you know, I think that the clock has run out on coach Bud and it, maybe it sounds ridiculous given that he won the title literally just two years ago, but you know, look over at the Raptors, look at Nick nurse. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod yet, but he did end up getting fired. Uh, and that was actually the language that they used when, when his departure from Toronto was announced that the Raptors were firing Nick nurse, which I thought was notable. I thought. If they did get rid of Nick Nurse, they would head toward one of those, you know, that was a mutual decision on both sides. And, and Nick Nurse is going to be looking for other opportunities to coach next season and yada, yada, yada. No, they just fired him. And I just think that uh, when you're when you have as much talent as the Milwaukee Bucks have, having the best player in the world, uh, I don't know how you bring Coach Bud back into your building um, after a loss that's that disappointing, you know, when you were nearly a 60 win team during the regular season. The last thing that I wanted to say about the Bucks here, 
uh, since it's crazy, we will not be talking about them for quite some time on this podcast, I can't imagine, is Giannis's comments in the postgame. Uh, a reporter asked him, uh, asked Giannis, that is, you know, do you consider this season to be a failure? And Giannis went into a very detailed, like, two-minute-plus answer, which was really thoughtful and really insightful on essentially, and again, I'm paraphrasing Giannis here, so maybe that's not a good look, but, you know, basically saying that it wasn't a failure, that there were no failures in sports, that, you know, every year they're working toward this really difficult goal to achieve. That's probably enough of my paraphrasing. I'd encourage you guys to look it up because it was really insightful. Uh, and my first reaction was, man, I love Giannis. I really love Giannis. Um, you know, he's so competitive and that even after a loss of this magnitude, I think he was visibly crushed. Um, and so I, I just felt bad for the guy. I, I think any, uh, um, you know, your gut reaction when you watch a team lose, is like, man, is something up with Giannis? Is he not the same player that I thought he was? Um, as dumb and, and cliche as it sounds to to listen to his answer and, and have confidence that that's not the case, that's just how I felt after listening to it. I just know that that guy's a winner. I know that that's, that's a guy you can build around. That's a that's clearly, I, I still think, the best player in the world. Um, but let's not get it twisted. That season was a failure. Um, it is, you know, there's levels to it. Could you make the argument that every single season that you don't win a championship is a failure? Sure, you can say that. Um, but I don't think people really thought that se that last season for the Bucks was a failure, losing to a Celtics team, you know, when they were shorthanded and down, you know, their second or third best player in Chris Middleton. But this is a failure. I don't care if Giannis was banged up. I don't care, you know, if, if the ball didn't bounce their way. I don't care if, if they think the officiating was a problem or whatever. It is a failure to lose to an eight seed when you are a 60-win team with the best player in the world. Uh, and, and, you know, capping off an upset that's only happened four other times in NBA history. So uh, I, I loved and respected Giannis's answer. I loved his thought process. I loved his passion when he was explaining it. I loved the way he delivered that, um, despite being really crushed by the loss. But let's let's not get it twisted um, that that was a failure. That was a lot. That was a lot on the Bucks, a lot on the Heat, but I think it needed to be that way. Um, I can't believe that series ended the way it did, but that wasn't the only series that ended last night. Um, of course, the Cavs versus the Knicks, another series I was wrong on. Uh, the Knicks won. They, they beat the Cavs in five games, just like the Heat did. Um, and it was pretty interesting to watch it unfold because it, it obviously wasn't all that close, right? Really, uh, there were only two close games of the entire series, if I'm remembering this correctly, and that was games one and two that they, or actually it was really only game one was close. Cleveland kind of took care of business in game two, and it was all New York the rest of the way, right? Um, I, I wanted to first focus on the lens of the Cavs and, and focus on the Cavs for a little bit, since again, we won't be talking about them for a little bit. Uh, you know, I think an interesting storyline that maybe this was a little overblown in the media, but you know, it was Mitchell's failure to meet the moment, right? Because Donovan Mitchell had a situation where, you know, I, I would have picked him as the best player in the series heading into this matchup. He's somebody with a lot of playoff experiences, certainly some highs and some lows in there, but I was pretty um, shocked to realize that he's played 44 playoff games in his career. I uh, was looking into it when I was trying to figure out the Jimmy Butler stats. I was trying to figure out who else was kind of in that camp of uh, scoring a lot more points per game in the playoffs in the regular season. And Mitchell's actually on that list. He's you know, scores a lot more points in the playoffs than he does the regular season. He's also a guy that's made the playoffs every single year of his career, which is really impressive. He made it, you know, his entire tenure in Utah, which I didn't realize. And he also, of course, made it this year in Cleveland. Um, and he finished the series with, with 23, 7, and 5. You know, the shooting numbers weren't great, but they weren't awful either. He was pretty bad from three, you know, abnormally bad from three. Um, but I don't think it the stats really told the full story, right? He didn't look like the same guy that we saw, um, 
during the regular season. He didn't really necessarily look like a player that was ready for the moment. Um, and it's just extra disappointing because of, of the history between, you know, what could have been Mitchell and, and the Knicks, right? Um, Mitchell was somebody mentioned in a lot of trade rumors for the New York Knicks, and ultimately the asking price of Danny Ainge was was too high for the Knicks front office, and they didn't end up moving forward with the deal. But I really thought this was going to be an opportunity where, you know, the Knicks were going to be like, shit, look at what we missed out on, right? Look at what we could, look at who we could have had. We could have had this special player in Donovan Mitchell. Um, and, it, and it really went the opposite, right? The pendulum swung the other way completely in that, wow. All we had to do was sign Jalen Brunson, and he was far and away the best player in the series. We didn't have to move R.J. Barrett. We didn't have to move any draft assets. Um, so it was, you know, even though Donovan Mitchell, I don't, I, again, I think his his final performance and his final counting stats were better than what they felt if you actually watched the games. Uh, but it is still a failure for Donovan Mitchell just with how far the pendulum swung on the Knicks fan base uh, and him just not really, you know, meeting meeting the moment in that series. Uh, it was a really humbling Evan Mobley series as well. Uh, I definitely like Evan Mobley. I know a lot of people in the media are extremely high on him and have uh, lofty uh, co comparisons. I've heard him been, you know, being compared to KG in the past, uh, which is <laughs> insane. But this was humbling, right? Like you, you really saw firsthand how raw he was offensively. Um, you know, his lack of of offensive prowess was definitely a real problem. Um, he was never able to capitalize on small lineups for the Knicks. Uh, along with Jared Allen, but we kind of knew that about Jared Allen. He's a pretty one-dimensional offensive player. He's mainly out there for defense. Um, so I thought that that was just something to note that, you know, it stinks for Mobley, but, you know, him getting his first playoff experience is, is certainly a valuable thing overall. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I touched upon this a little bit on the last podcast, but the lack of front court depth for the Cavaliers is significant as well. Um, it was something I probably should have been, you know, noted before the series, but again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I definitely thought that, you know, Bickerstaff, the coach of the Cavs, got out coached a little bit. Again, I don't want this to turn into a coaching evaluation podcast, but, you know, his commitment to having both Allen and Mobley in the game uh, to their detriment was, was to their detriment a lot of the time. Uh, I felt like, you know, instead of them just kind of rolling the dice on whatever their fifth guy should be out there, you know, with the two bigs and their two guards, like instead of just trying to figure out who was going to be the hot handed one, like maybe just split up Allen and Mobley a little bit more uh, just to, you know, see if you can get more offense out there because they really could not score the ball against the Knicks the entire time. Um, you know, the other side of that coin is, is, you know, how dominant the Knicks were on the glass. So um, I, maybe that's why Bickerstaff was committed to the big lineup. I don't know. Uh, but my, overall, my hot take on the Cavs, maybe this isn't a hot take, but um, this is still going to be a positive experience for them overall. They did lose to a good New York team, albeit I don't think that they're a more talented team, but they are a good team. They were a better coach team this series. And this playoff experience, you know, this is why people hype it up in the media. This is why talk, people talk about, oh, they're not battle-tested. Oh, they don't have the experience. This is incredibly valuable playoff experience for Darius Garland, a incredibly valuable playoff experience for Evan Mobley. Um, and I think this team's going to be a lot better for it, even though this was, you know, no doubt a disappointing loss to the Knicks to, you know, not even get this to a six- or seven-game series. Let's move on to the Knicks, you know, bing bong, right? I mean, shout out Knicks, shout out the Knicks fans. I've seen a lot of hilarious Knicks fans content this week, which is uh, fun. I, I do respect them. 
Uh, I find it amusing right now. I'm sure if it gets to the point where we get Celtics Knicks, I will, you know, flip 100% and be as anti-New York as you can get. But it was cool to see the city basically shut down after the last two games of this series. It basically shut down um, when they were only up 3-1. They had to close down a a street in New York City because the fans were that crazy um, in, in the pouring out from the garden after that win. Um, but man, this was a, a really great series for the Knicks, and it was pretty shocking that they were able to do it uh, because they really were able to pull it off without any production from Julius Randle. You know, again, part of the reason I was so confident in picking Cleveland before this series is because Richel, uh, excuse me, Randle was banged up heading into it, uh, and then he played and he played through it and, and was all right in Game One. But really, the rest of the series he was pretty bad and pretty inefficient. And then to top it all off, you know, the, the, the worst part about, you know, last night as a Knicks fan is that Julius Randle sprained his ankle again. You know, just one of those freak plays where he came down, landed on somebody's foot, sprained. I think it was the same ankle that was bothering him before. You know, he ended up in street clothes uh, for the second half of that game for the most part. So um, I don't know what the prognosis is, what the early report is on how much time he's going to miss. If any, I'd imagine he's going to miss a significant amount of time. Um, so that really stinks. But. Uh, the positive thing is that Jalen Brunson was far and away the best player in this series. He was so impressive. He could get to his spot at will. Um, he started the series off strong by closing out game one, and he really didn't let up at all, all series long. And the fact that he was able to outplay a Cavs team, outplay Donovan Mitchell, outplay Darius Garland consistently, um, you should be really excited as a Knicks fans. And, and something that, you know, that contract before the season was something that, you know, was one that many fans would consider to be an overpay. Uh, that looks like a drastic underpay right now because you're getting a, a, a damn near all NBA level talent, even at the guard position uh, and somebody that knows how to close out playoff games. And he showed that last year as well. Um, RJ Barrett definitely came alive. I kind of shot, you know, called him out a little bit on the last podcast, needed him to be more aggressive on offense and kind of take a bit of a leap. And I think he did that. Uh, he scored the ball a lot better the last couple games of the series than he did to start. Uh, but overall, man, the, besides Jalen Brunson, of course, as I mentioned, the second most valuable New York Nick was Mitchell Robinson, and it wasn't even close. This dude was a problem. Mitchell Robinson is 7-1. He's the center for the Knicks, and he gave the Cavs absolute hell on the glass every single time, mainly the offensive glass. You know, I was pretty shocked when I looked at his numbers for the series, and I want to say he only averaged like 10 or 11 rebounds per game. And I say only because it felt like so much more. But six of those rebounds were offensive. He averaged over six offensive rebounds per game during this series, and you could watch it. Like, I think part of the reason why the Cavs were so bad offensively and their inability to score the ball was just because it was such a team effort to just keep Mitchell Robinson away from the basket. And, you know, again, Cleveland's a... a you know, they have a big front court, right? Like Mobley's seven feet tall playing the power forward position. And they have, you know, him along with Jared Allen, a traditional center, you know, and they can't keep this guy off the glass. Like every single play, there was, there seemed to be a dude on the ground after every single Knicks shot attempt because so many people were either, it was either someone on the Knicks falling over trying to get the ball or, you know, and when, you know, Mitchell Robinson would clear, I can't even count the number of times Mitchell Robinson would clear out like two different guys and then Josh Hart or somebody else in the Knicks would fly in for the rebound. He was a problem in that series. Um, he's somebody that Tibbs did not want to take out of the game and I totally understand why. Um, and I think he's going to be a huge factor in the next series because now we have Knicks versus Heat in round two, which is insane. Uh, two, again, two series I was completely wrong about, and now they're facing off. And, you know, and, and one of those teams is going to be going to the Eastern Conference Finals and hopefully playing my Boston Celtics. I, I can't believe that. 
Uh, but this is going to be insane. This is going to be absolutely insane. I, I think a rock fight, uh, a dog fight. I don't even think that does it justice because of how gritty both of these teams are. But I don't want to go into this too much. I didn't do a whole lot of research on these teams' matchups and everything like that. I'll, tr I'll try to do that more in the next podcast. But my gut take, if I have to get this out now, I don't know exactly when this series starts, is I got the Knicks in seven. I think it's going to be really, really close. Um, I think the Heat will have the best player in the series in Jimmy Butler, but I do think he you know, emptied a lot of the tank during this during this uh, Milwaukee series. Um, but Jalen Brunson's no slouch either. Um, I, I think I'm taking the Knicks just because with what I saw from Mitchell Robinson, and maybe this is an overreaction, you know, what he was able to do on the glass against a team in Cleveland that has a lot of size, I just can't, like, I'm just thinking about that Hawks-Heat game, which feels like a lifetime ago in the play-in tournament that, again, the Heat got beat pretty handily by the Hawks in that game. And Clint Capella had, you know, 20-something rebounds. Like, Robinson is is an even better rebounder, in my opinion, and I just think he's going to be a huge problem for a Miami Heat team that just lacks a lot of size, as we've talked about before. So I think between that, even if them not getting much from, from you know, Julius Randle, I think that, you know, again, Miami's going to be shorthanded too in, in lacking Tyler Harrow, so I think it kind of breaks even in that department, and I think the Knicks are going to be able to pull that out in seven games. So now that we got those series out of the way, um, here's a quick easy one. 76ers versus Nets. I have to talk about it here. You know, it ended up being a sweep for Philadelphia, something that I, I want to say I initially picked Sixers in four. So I guess I was right about something. It's about time. Uh, you know, the Sixers were able to close out the series without Embiid, which I think was notable in game four. Uh, Embiid sprained his knee apparently in game three. I wonder if it was on the play where he attempted to kick Nick Claxton in the nuts, uh, something he definitely should have been kicked out for. But who really cares? I mean, the Sixers ended up winning that game and they kicked out Harden for some bullshit uh, in game three, which which shouldn't have been the case. But whatever. Uh, you know, the Nets are a joke. We knew the Nets were a joke. I really have no other extra thoughts on the Nets. Uh, all my thoughts are kind of focused on Philadelphia here. You know, Harden is banged up. We know this. It, it happens, you know, a, a lot to James Harden, unfortunately. I felt like during the regular season, he was playing at, at an all-NBA level. Um, he was a reason a lot of people were picking Philadelphia to actually make some noise in the playoffs. He's not the same guy he was during the regular season, but... You know, the more I watch Tyrese Maxey, the more I'm impressed. Um, he's clearly the second best player on that team now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Doc makes any adjustments to their offense to get him involved in the high pick and roll with, you know, with Joel Embiid a little bit more here. Um, I don't think he will make that change just because Harden is still, despite being banged up and incredible in the pick and roll situation. And, and I think Maxey's a better catch and shoot shooter off the ball. And he certainly moves without the ball more than Harden does. So... Uh, we'll see if there's any technical changes that come along with, you know, Maxi being officially the second best player on, on the team, in my opinion. But regardless, you know, Philadelphia is going to be solid. Um, and the only reason I'm a, a little worried as a Celtics fan, despite the fact that, you know, if, in a vacuum, I, I would take them over Philly. But uh, they are getting Philly's getting a lot of rest in this situation, because unlike the Celtics, they took care of business in four games and beat has that knee sprain, but he's getting all the rest he needs. He should be 100 percent, you know, by the time this, the, the Celtics series or you know, what we'll just say by the time the next series starts, he should be a hundred percent. So this rest is really valuable for the Sixers and, and they're, they deserve it for taking care of business against an inferior team. Last series in the Eastern conference here. I've, I've obviously mentioned it a few times here. It's the Boston Celtics, right there. The series is now three, two for the Hawks. Some, a series that I was the most confident heading into was going to be a sweep before the playoffs started. Um, I'm pretty disappointed to say the least, you know, maybe that was my bias taking over, but I don't think it was a stretch to assume that the Celtics were going to take care of business against the Hawks. 
I want the Celtics to wake up. In my feelings watching that Bucks Heat game last night, in my disbelief and my excitement for the fact that the Heat were actually able to pull this off, you know, I'm so I'm sitting there so excited as a Celtics fan, but I can't fully enjoy the victory of the Heat because my stupid team hasn't taken care of business against the Hawks. Now, again, you know, even going back to the 08 title, I, I think the Celtics went pretty famously went seven games against the Atlanta Hawks that year before they ended up winning it. Like, just because you have a rocky first round series, it doesn't necessarily, it's not indicative of, of the success the rest of the way. But it's just frustrating because, as I just mentioned, Philadelphia is getting that rest. But, man, Celtics, it is so wide open for you. Like I said before, like all the entire time, this you know, all three months of this of this podcast, right? I've been very passionate about like, hey, man, if they lose to the Bucks, I get it. But I really think that they're at least the second best team in basketball. Ultimately, I landed on picking them to win the title. But, man, this shit is wide open for them. I cannot stress that enough. Like, you're, you know, take care of business against the Hawks tonight, please. I hope by the time you guys are hearing this that this shit is over. I really hope so because, good God, Philly's in your way. You've owned Philly for the last decade. You've owned them. I understand Embiid had that 50-point outing at the end of the regular season, but literally who cares? The Celtics were not invested in that game. They, they were, you know, purposely, I, I think, imploring a, def a terrible defensive strategy against Joel Embiid. They own they own the Sixers. They need to be able to take care of business against the Sixers. And then who's going to be waiting for them in the Eastern Conference after that? Either Miami or New York? Now, yes, those are, are, are gritty teams and teams that had success against the Celtics during this past regular season. But the Celtics are so much more talented. They're so much deeper than those teams. They need, like, if that, if that Bucks series isn't a wake-up call for the Celtics, then I don't know what is. It is wide open. And don't even get me started on the West. We're, we're not far enough along in the playoffs for me to be worrying about who the Celtics might face in the finals. But, man, this shit is as open as it's ever been. And I, I still can't believe it. I still, like, there's a part of me that's still, like, conditioned from, you know, the four years in a row we got the, the Cavs-Warriors in the finals that there's, like, this inevitability to the best teams always making it to the finals when that hasn't been the case the past couple years. But I'm just still in shock that the Bucks have lost and the Celtics need to wake up. They What they need to do is take care of business first and foremost against the Hawks. The way that they're going to do that is just by attacking Trey Young on the defensive end of the court. Like, I know Trey Young has gotten off offensively a little bit, and, and he certainly played better the past few games than what he did to start the series, and I get it, because Trey Young is that good offensively. He is a really special player. But if you really are worried about stopping him on defense... You just need to attack him on offense. Make his life hell. Every single play, you got to get him in the action. Every single time. Like, I don't care if it's Brogdon, if he's guarding Brogdon. I don't care if he's guarding Tatum. I don't care if he's guarding Brown. I don't care if he's guarding White. I just want to have, preferably, those four players on the court at once so you have the ability to just attack him no matter what and then just pick one of the bigs. I think they'd be better if they just, you know, go small a little bit more against this Atlanta team. Um, I think it also stinks that Jalen Brown had an incredible Game 5 that we're all going to forget about because Trey Young decided to hit a, a literal 30-footer to win the game. It's, it's bad, man. I, I just, I don't want to spend much more time talking about it because, again, by the time you guys hear this, you know, Game Game six is going to be over, and fingers crossed the series is going to be as well. Um, I, you know, again, credit to Trey Young. He's, you know, he's playing better down the stretch here this series than I thought. 
Uh, I do think his last game was a bit overhyped. Uh, I get it. He, that shot was cold-blooded. I'm not going to do, do the Paul George quote and say that that was a bad shot, even though it was. Um, but I will just say that he shot, like, what, like 35%? Like, again, he had to take those shots. They didn't have DeJounte Murray. They pulled out the game in Boston. All the credit to him. But, like, even in that game, he wasn't, like, particularly efficient. It wasn't like he just got hot from three and couldn't miss. Like, that wasn't the case. He's just taking more shots, so he's scoring more points. This this Hawks team isn't good, man. They haven't been good all year. Quinn Sider is a better coach than what they had before McMillan, but it doesn't make a difference. He hasn't had enough time with that team. The Celtics are so much better. They're in a different class. They need to wake up, and they need to take care of business in Game 6 tonight, and I certainly hope that they do. Let's move on to the Western Conference, man. We're going to touch upon Wolves Nuggets real quick, and I say real quick because, man, not much has changed since the last podcast, right? Uh, the Nuggets were able to pull out uh, Game 5. They won the series in five games. I picked them to win in four, but that's okay. Uh, Minnesota, I would say they won a game, blew a game, and then won a game again all in the same game. If you watched Game 4, that'll make sense to you. Um, essentially, they had the game like in the bag, their, their, you know, their second game in Minneapolis, and the, they just decided to just stop scoring the ball for like the last like five or six minutes of regulation. They let the Nuggets back in the game. Uh, and then ultimately they, you know, built up a big lead in overtime and then almost choked that one away too. But uh, anyways, it was still a good win for the Wolves. You know, shout out the Wolves, Wolves fans for, for getting a win on their home court. I know the fans really enjoyed that one. Um, if there is a silver lining of this Wolves season, it's just that, you know, Anthony Edwards, I think, I think he's moving in the right direction, man. He is what, what he, we think he is, what we think he could be. Um, he was really impressive in the end of that Denver series. The shot that he hit at the end of overtime of that game four that the Wolves ended up winning was the coldest shot that so far that anyone has hit in the entire playoffs that hit that includes all the Jimmy Butler shots. He basically hit like a hezzy tween from like 25 feet defender up in his face, drills a three to seal the game for the Wolves. It was so impressive. Um, I love Anthony Edwards. I just really don't love anyone else on that entire team. Um, I think that they have some serious questions. I don't know what moves that they have to make with the contract situation and how many assets they've already moved away to get Rudy Gobert. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, Ant's a dog. He's got a lot of cats around him. Uh, that was a joke I saw on Twitter. I don't know who who actually actually tweeted that, so my bad. Stole that shitty joke. But anyway, man, I, they got a bunch of bums around him. I I hate Kyle Anderson. I'm Wolves fans. He's not that good just because he's not athletic and he plays smart doesn't mean he's some special talent. Um, anyway, that's my my parting words on the Wolves. Uh, Nuggets, you know, again, Jamal Murray stayed hot. Jokic is still doing his thing. Uh, I like what I saw from Denver in that series. Let's move on to, again, another series that is in the books. It is the Clippers versus Suns, man. Uh, a 4-1 series win for the Suns, you know, uh, ended up being exactly what I picked. I picked Suns in five games, um, and it, but it didn't really feel like that, right? It kind of felt dirty uh, because of how impressive the Clippers were despite their, you know, health concerns and, and their health shortcomings. Um, you know, the, the Suns were able to rattle off. What was it? They, I think they won the last four games in a row, right? Uh, but really the story of this series was Kawhi Leonard and it sucks and it's his health, but you know, time is a flat circle, man. It, it just, you know, history just tends to repeat itself. Right. And you saw the highs of Kawhi Leonard just being far and away, like far and away, the best player in the series during games one and two, he was so impressive on both ends of the court. He looked all the way back and you find out before game three that, you know, his knees out and his knees sprained. And then he ends up missing the rest of the series. And then of course, at the conclusion of the series, we found out that he had actually torn his meniscus and, you know, it's a significant injury and all that stuff. Uh, it's just sad. It's just sad, man. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, 
you know, you could easily point and laugh at the Clippers and be like, ha ha, you knew this was going to happen. Like, you know, you, these guys are, you know, you, you rest them all season just to have them get hurt in the playoffs. Like, you guys are so dumb. But, like, are they really dumb? Because, like, we just saw what Kawhi Leonard did. And they, they didn't even have Paul George. And they still beat the Suns in Game 1. And they still gave them a run for their money in Game 2. And they even played really hard the rest of the series. Uh, despite just having a collection of role players going up against the most, you know, stacked talent-wise team in the entire league. Um, I was just really impressed with what I saw from Ty Lue the rest of the way. I was impressed with Westbrook, man. Westbrook was playing incredible. Um, the best basketball he's played in years. Um, I don't think that that series necessarily changes much of what I think of Westbrook as a whole. But I do think that he played well enough for him to just like definitely get another chance with the team next year. Um, I think it's likely that he would just stay with the Clippers, right? Like that would de If I'm Westbrook, I definitely want to stay with the Clippers because that's probably the only team that has a chance of being competitive while also excuse me prominently featuring him in the offense so just worth noting uh and norm powell is still my guy love norm powell uh but a sad season for the clippers man it just sucks that we 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 didn't see either of their top two guys out there uh when it mattered the most but you know something that clippers fans have become accustomed to at this point moving on to the suns um yeah devin booker sheesh I mean, he's been hooping. You know, he's averaging 37 points per game. Yeah, that's what he averaged during the first series. He's shooting a 60% clip. His defense has definitely, you know, taken a step in the right direction. He was really hooping on the defensive end in game one. And then I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people gassing Devin Booker's defense the past couple weeks. So, uh, you know, maybe that's taking it a little far. I don't think he's suddenly like a good defender. But I think he's solid. I think he's certainly taken a step in the right direction. So they need him to be that. Um, given, you know, the only real defensive stopper they have on their team is Josh Okoji. And um, if he can't knock down a three ball, then he's not going to be the one even closing games for the Suns. Uh, but Booker's playing at an elite level, man. He's playing like he's the alpha of the team, which is pretty interesting having Durant there. You know, on that note, Durant is still doing his thing. He's, he's played fine. I just feel like they're not using him as much as they should. You know, especially given up how much they, they paid for when they traded for him. Like, his time's going to come. I'm not worried about Durant. But I just, I wonder when when all the kinks are going to be worked out. And, and, you know, he's just sitting in the corner a little too much for my liking. Like, you know, watching Devin Booker run the offense. Watching even Chris Paul for times run the offense. I just want to see him get a little bit more involved. And, you know, I think he definitely will against Denver in the next round. Um, overall, it was a tough series for Chris Paul, I would say. Um, but he did show that he has the ability, you know, to get to his spots. He's still the same guy in the mid-range area. He's still a maestro in the pick and roll with Aiton. It was, I think they went to that, you know, that set even more and that action even more than I thought that they would, given that they just kind of have Devin, Devin Booker and, you know, Kevin Durant sitting off ball in that situation. But, um, he proved he's still, you know, can, can be efficient. He's just not, you know, he doesn't have the same burden on him and it's a good thing that he doesn't, but, um, you know, I just, you know, moving things over to Nuggets versus Suns, uh, you know, this is a series that I thought was going to happen. This is a series that I, you know, we knew was coming. Um, and I am sticking to my pick. I got the Nuggets in seven games. I think it's going to be really close, but I think, you know, the Nuggets having home court in this series is ultimately going to make a big difference in the final game. And, um, I think there's going to be a lot of eight and frustration from Suns fans, you know, putting him in difficult spots, um, you know, guarding Jokic and having to be smart. And it's going to be a really, uh, you know, a test for Monty Williams and how, how his team decides to defend Jokic as a whole. Um, so we'll see how that plays out, man. I'm excited for it. I got the Nuggets in seven, and that'll be a really awesome second round series. Uh, moving on, we got two series left here to, to run through real quick. Grizzlies versus Lakers, man. This is one that annoys me. You know, the Lakers are up in this series 3-2. But 
they're just they're so predictable, man. I tweeted about this because you know it's so obvious early on in games when they don't have it and they're not locked in. And I don't know why that is. Like their effort and their two losses has just been like totally, totally embarrassing. Um, you know, I, I just think it's funny. Like, I don't know if it's because, you know, LeBron very famously at this point in his career just kind of picks his spots, right? He's not giving full effort and energy all the time. Um, and that makes sense. The dude's like nearly 40 years old playing in his 20th season. Like, you know, he just doesn't have that in the tank to go 100%. He's got to save himself for the moments that matter. And the moments that do matter, he's still in that conversation for, you know, a top five guy you'd want on your team. He is that good. We saw him, you know, close out, what was that, game four, where, you know, he went to the basket, he tied up the game at the end of, of regulation. You know, he made an insanely difficult finish. You know, I think he took Xavier Tillman all the way to the basket and made like a running layup with his right hand over Tillman, over Jaron Jackson in the help, like such a difficult shot. Um, but that being said, he picks his spots a lot. And I don't know if that's the reason why the rest of the team just feels like they're on that level too, where, you know, you see your best player and your and the star, the star of the entire league for that matter. Um, well, when he's not giving 110%, is that something that's contagious? I don't know. But what I do know is it's just, you know, you can watch the first five minutes of a Laker game and know if they're going to be locked in or not. Um, and I think it's, they're, they kind of put themselves in a difficult spot, right? Like, you know, Obviously, their home court for game six, and, and they're, I'd imagine that they'll be a significant favorite in that game to take care of business on their home court, but they better not let it get to seven, man. I don't know if I like their chances in a game seven in Memphis. Like, I just don't. That crowd in Memphis is insane. They're a, you know, Memphis is a young team that, you know, they have all the confidence in the world. I just wouldn't want to get cute with them. And it's just, it's really funny to compare the Lakers situation to the Heat situation, right? The Heat had their incredible game four, right? Just like the Lakers did. It was a close game. It came down to the wire, and they were in a similar situation, right? You know, the Bucks and the, or excuse me, the Heat have the Bucks on the ropes. The Lakers have the Grizzlies on the ropes. You know, they're they're heading back on the road for game five in a game where they don't necessarily need it, right? Like the the Heat didn't need that game in Milwaukee. They could have just been like, man. You know, Jimmy gave us 56 the other night. He's exhausted. Let's just do our best, you know, play real hard the first couple quarters. And if we don't have it, you know, let's kind of lighten up on the brakes a little bit, get some rest, whatever, and prepare for, for game six in Miami. The Heat could have done that. But no, like, that's not how they're built. That's not, you know, Heat culture or whatever the hell you want to call it. Like, they went hard. They went hard at Milwaukee because they knew that they were underdogs. They knew they couldn't take them lightly. And they had an opportunity in that game. Even when they were down 10 last night, they found a way to rally back in it. And they they are reaping the benefits of it. They they took care of the number one seed, and they did so in five games. Versus the Lakers, that you just knew that they didn't have it immediately upon game, game five kicking off the other night. Uh, and it's pretty disappointing. So uh, I just get frustrated with the Lakers. It, it's It's annoying that... You know, I'm even rooting for the Lakers, but I just I don't like the Grizzlies, and I think a, a Lakers Warriors series is going to be really fun next round. Real quick on Memphis, I, I can't believe like you know Ja. I, I'm not a Ja guy. I've been pretty critical of Ja, but watching him give people absolute hell in an oven mitt is impressive. He's still somehow knocking down threes. He literally plays basketball like he's also a professional wrestler. The way he just goes horizontal, like headed toward the basket. Like it's absolutely insane. Um, I Please stop doing that, Jaw. You're literally scaring people every single time you jump. We we do not want to see another Derrick Rose situation with him. Um, so I just, I am impressed with Jaw. And the last piece I'll say is like, man, Dylan Brooks, you know, 
everybody hates Dylan Brooks. Everyone loves making fun of Dylan Brooks. He's like the, you know, the, the quintessential, you know, NBA clown that just talks when it's not his place to talk. He's disrespectful to LeBron. You know, he takes shit. He talks shit. He can't back it up. He plays a bad game. He's not available to the media. Uh, but man, he really stinks in this series too. Memphis is better when he's off the court. And it's just hilarious that like collectively the entire NBA community is just rooting for this guy's failure. Uh, even shout out my guy, Norm. Norm is, is a real, he's a Grizzlies fan. Even if he doesn't want to admit it, I know he might claim he's a Celtics fan, but I know he loves the Grizz. He's been on the Grizzlies train for a long time. And even he, I feel like is actively rooting against Dylan Brooks, just kind of based on the guy's tweets uh, the past couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, man, this this Dylan Brooks hate tornado is like forming at an alarming pace, and it's going to be awesome if he just really sucks in game six in L.A., and that's how their series ends, because I don't think we'll see this much collective hate toward a player in a long time. So that's always good, right? It's always good to be unified by hate. Uh, so anyway, let's move on to the final series here, and it's Kings Warriors. And man, you know, I, I'm not going to say I called this, but I definitely, you know, I think I, I, I stayed consistent in my belief with the Warriors a little bit. Uh, and it, it looks like it's it's all all momentum has, has flipped, and it's certainly headed the Warriors' way. The Warriors are now up 3-2 in the series, despite uh, dropping the first two games to Sacramento. Uh, and man, you know, they they have answered a lot of questions, especially with the win last night. You know, I, I kind of, I really thought that they were going to go out and win game three, to, even without D Draymond's absence, just because that was going to be the switch that was flipped. That was going to be a big Steph game. And they came out and they did that. They absolutely beat the shit out of Sacramento in game three. It was really convincing from the gate. And I was like, man, once they get Draymond back for game four and they're still at home, that's going to be a really tough game for Sacramento to win. So, you know, that game kind of win as planned too, despite these, you know, despite game four being a little bit closer. But then you get to game five, right? Like, that's the moment. Like, okay, if you believe Golden State is going to win this series, this kind of has to be the game that they win. Because you don't want to see it get to a game seven that's going to be in Sacramento, right? And they answered the toll, right? This was, like, the first real test for them to actually win a road playoff game. It's like, I think that's, like, what, the 10th road win that they've gotten the entire season? Like, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But uh, it was a really great win. You know, Steph is just the best he's ever been at basketball, despite his age. It's absolutely insane. Uh, even when Jordan Poole is MIA, um, the Warriors have still found a way to win. Uh, Draymond actually had it going, cooking in his own, you know, offensive bag last night. And that's kind of how you know it was, you know, GG's for the Kings. Um, but I also think a guy that I'd be remiss to mention is Kevon Looney. Um, he's been really, really great for the Warriors all season. Like, you know, it's actually pretty bad. I haven't mentioned him on this podcast before because I've talked about the Warriors' lack of size, and I give Draymond a lot of credit for his defensive ability to make up for that. But Looney's been a rock for them. Like, I don't like he's been so good throughout this entire run for the team that he just kind of flies under the radar. But his efforts in defending Sabonis, I mean, he's a part of a team strategy that's just made Sabonis look really pedestrian during this entire series. And he's averaging nearly 15 rebounds a game. Uh, on the series, I think he had 22 rebounds last night. He's absolutely incredible. Obviously, you know, offensively, he doesn't need to do much, but he's, he spaces the floor correctly, sets screens when he needs to. Uh, he's truly the unsung hero, hero of the Warriors team, and he's been consistent for them all year. On the Kings side of things, um, you know, again, they really are kind of turning Sabonis into a pumpkin in this one. You know, he's still getting to, like, what is it, like about 17 points per game, but he's averaging four turnovers. He looks unsure of himself. They're forcing him to shoot the ball more than he'd like to from outside. Uh, and otherwise, you know, the Fox finger injury makes me really sad with how well that guy was playing. Um, he looked like, you know, the best player in the series at times. 
uh, and now he's banged up. I mean, he still played pretty solid yesterday, but um, I just think with, with Fox's health trending in the right direction, Kevin Herter is still MIA. So bonus now is, is kind of unsure of himself. Um, I just think that, you know, now that the Warriors are in the driver's seat, right, they need to take care of business in game six. I'm sure they're heavy favorites. I think that they will. And I think we're hurtling toward a Warriors-Lakers round two matchup. Steph versus LeBron, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see if we actually get the matchup that we want to see. So I think that covers it, man. I got to get this thing out so I can go watch uh, my C's. I can, you know, stay in in the loop on the NFL draft here and, and see what things are going on. But man, it was just it was just an awesome week of basketball. It was an awesome week headlined by the Heat. Uh, I cannot believe the Bucks are out of this thing. Uh, even the Knicks series was pretty shocking that they were able to pull things out in five games. I just love that there is some unpredictability, right? Even though it means I'm wrong on a lot of this shit, it's cool when uh, things go off script. It's cool that even in a league where, again, it's a seven-game series format for these playoff matchups, it's a, it's a best of seven, um, that things can get unpredictable and that upsets like this are possible. Uh, it makes it, you know, really exciting. I, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen next, right? Like, you know, we're getting these matchups in round two where, you know, I, I feel pretty good about, you know, I think the Warriors will take care of business against the Lakers if it gets to that point. But, you know, Suns Nuggets, I, you know, I'm picking the Nuggets, but that shit's really a coin flip, man. Like, you know, Knicks and Heat is going to be an absolute rock fight. I think that's going to be another coin flip. You know, Celtics versus Sixers is really entertaining. We're getting some really high-level matchups here, so I hope that you guys are enjoying it. In terms of the schedule for this podcast, again, uh, I'm not too sure. It really, I, I haven't looked ahead at the NBA schedule yet, so I'm just going to try to, you know, get in where I fit in in terms of being able to watch these games and my work schedule and everything like that. So I will try to get get this out next episode out probably within about, you know, early next week is what I'll target, but it might end up being another Thursday pod depending on how the schedule shakes out. So with that, man, I'm going to get up out of here. Uh, before I go, make sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything. Uh, that includes Instagram, that includes Twitter, that includes Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe. Uh, download the show. I, I guess I haven't mentioned this before. I can only see when people download. You know, I, I never really download my other podcasts that I listen to. I just kind of play it. Uh, and but I guess that they don't get I don't, they don't get the love that they need they don't get the same amount of money for the ones that monetize it man I just I just look at the downloads I'd love to see those go up a little bit so if you do listen to it uh, just hit me with that download that'd be huge that'd be huge hit me with the download that'll go a long way man but I'm gonna get up out of here hit this button and I will talk to you guys next week go Celtics. <laughs>